So for you to know how it's going to know, let me share a story with you. I once heard the story about a preacher who was known for preaching long sermons. One Sunday he preached for so long that a congregation member fell asleep. The preacher noticed and said, my brother, please wake up. I have not reached the best point yet. The member replied, well, pastor, when you do, please let me know. I'll wake up the rest of the congregation as well. <laughs> now that's to say this, that I'm not going to preach for that long. But in case I go a bit longer, please stay up. <laughs> Need some grace this way, maybe. Speaking of grace, my wife and I have often talked about the grace of God in our lives and have been astounded to see how much he has blessed us with, especially the gift of life, salvation that he has given us to Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I was once this boy with long hair, lost in worldly things. The closest people in my circle had written me off and I had given them every reason to do so. But then came Jesus in my life and I saw him wash over me with his grace. He picked me up and gave me new life and meaning with every good blessing. Sometimes I wonder why. Actually, I do know why. It's because of who he is. Sometimes I feel like the second criminal on the cross who just made it on time by recognizing Jesus as the one who could forgive. He reached out to Jesus and heard the words, today you will be with me in paradise. The fact that people like me, the thief on the cross, and even you have received salvation offers hope. To be honest, in today's world, it might be unpopular to believe that Jesus is the only way. Some might even argue that there can surely be another way. Some might even find it offensive to believe that people who lived morally will not enter the kingdom of God because they did not believe in Jesus. Yes, we believe that a seemingly good person, if does not come to faith in Christ, will be eternally lost. But do you know what else we believe? That the worst criminal in history if repents and comes to faith in Christ, is saved. The gospel shatters all worldly standards. The radical message of the gospel is that our problem sin is far worse than what we could ever imagine. And the solution, God's grace, is far better than something we could ever deserve. The grace of God is simply and amazingly this, that any sinner, regardless of the magnitude of his or her sins can receive the gift of salvation, can receive forgiveness and the promise to spend eternity with the Father in heaven if he or she simply repents and comes to faith in Christ. The grace of God teaches us that it's not the gravity of our crimes that determines our salvation, but rather the magnitude of God's grace which is abounding. Many theologians refer to this grace as God's scandalous grace. The word scandalous, the adjective in the dictionary is defined as something that's unacceptable, something that is shocking. The reason why they, defer, they refer to it as God's scandalous grace because this grace of Jesus in his time and even now is unacceptable to many, was shocking that Jesus could forgive the sinners. One such story of God's scandalous grace is seen in the Gospel of John chapter 8 where Jesus restores the dignity of a woman. He does not condemn her while she's being humiliated. It's a story of God's grace overflowing through love, mercy, and compassion. Let's read from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, from verses 1 to 11. <clears throat> the Word of God says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. 
they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept on demanding an answer, so he stood up and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. Then Jesus stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning from the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, brought this woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery. According to the law of Moses, it was a serious offense and the penalty was stoning. But something seemed strange about their actions. These people brought only the woman, leaving the man out of the picture. And that too in a public space in a temple. They wanted to create a scene. Their true intention was not about justice, but to use this woman as a tool to trap Jesus. Do you know why? Because he was preaching the truth. He was bringing the kingdom of God on earth. He was performing miracles and people started believing in him, which was blasphemous for them. Here in this context, Jesus seems to be in a bit of a catch-22 situation. If he suggested that the woman should go free, they would accuse him of not following the law of Moses. And if he agreed to punish her, that could put him at odds against the Roman authorities because religious executions were not allowed then. Instead, we see Jesus doing something completely different. He stoops down and starts writing something on the ground. The stooping down is often referred to as coming down to the level of those who are lost and rejected, just like this woman was here. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He came down for us. Now, while we don't know what he wrote on the ground, it must have definitely frustrated the accusers. They were wanting an answer. They must have thought, what is he writing? They were demanding for an answer. And then we see Jesus stand up and say, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. In saying this, Jesus points out a few things. First, these critics themselves fell short of the law. As per the law, the witnesses must begin the execution. In simple terms, Jesus is saying that if you are appealing to the law, then go ahead and follow it. And second, Jesus wanted them to think about their own sinful nature before judging someone else. His words pierced their hearts, and one by one, they all left. And with no one left, Jesus did not condemn her. In fact, he showed her incredible grace. He gave her a chance to start afresh. He said to her, go, sin no more. In this story, we see that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And it's a scandalous grace because it was given to someone who didn't deserve it, just like me, just like you. In this story, we see three layers that I'd like to discuss today with you. The human condition and the need for grace. The hypocrisy of the accusers and the boundless love of Christ the condemnation of man and the redemption in Jesus. We see that God's grace is available to everyone to receive the gift of life, but also to pick themselves up when they get stuck in the web of sin and accusations or sometimes, unfortunately, find themselves 
on the other side of the accusers. We can walk back too. He doesn't condemn us. He gives us a chance to start afresh. Friends, before we dive into these three points and explore, let me just say this. Grace is not sin endorsed, but sin pardoned as we come to faith and forgiveness in Christ. Let me repeat that again. Grace is not sin endorsed, but sin pardoned as we come to faith and forgiveness in Christ. Let's unpack these three points. Firstly, the human condition and the need for grace. Now, while Jesus was teaching at the temple, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law come to Jesus to ask this trick question. They say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They put across a deceiving question to trap Jesus. Also, the term teacher, originally used as this daskalos in Greek, is probably meant to be sarcastic here. Unlike the Hebrew term rabbi, it does not carry an automatic sense of respect. Remember, they were here to discredit Jesus. He was teaching at the temple. These people bring this woman in the middle of the crowd. They must have seen Jesus teaching and go like, Hey teacher, we've got a question for you. They wanted to make this as public as possible to embarrass both the woman and Jesus. And then they point out to the law of Moses, which requires death penalty for the adulterers. But what they fail to mention is that the death penalty was not only for the woman. The man is missing out of the picture. And the witnesses must begin the execution. These people who have brought the woman have only brought half the guilty party, the woman. This raises some serious questions against their own intentions. But what does this say about the human condition? Forget about the Pharisees, forget about the teachers of the religious law. What does this say about the human condition? Do we see that human condition around us or sometimes unfortunately within us? Do we try and ask questions sometimes to benefit our own selves or our own agenda? Placing two options, making sure one of them would work for us? In the process of judging someone, how often do we analyze our own thoughts and hearts? And I'm not against godly correction, but I often tell people the motive should be to build someone and not break someone. Do you see why we need God's grace? Because we all have fallen short of his glory. It's the inherent human condition. Both the accuser and the accused need God's grace. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by grace when you believed. You cannot take credit for this. It's a free gift from God. Friends, you and I cannot take credit for this. We cannot boast about it. We can boast that Jesus has saved us, but we cannot boast that he saved us because of how good we are. Jesus saved us from the pit of darkness and brought us to life because of who he is. He loved us first. We can't boast about it. The word grace comes from the Greek word charis in the New Testament, which means favor, blessing, kindness. But this word charis, grace, when it comes in connection with God, it takes a more powerful meaning. It means God choosing to bless us rather than curse us for our sins. It's his compassion to the undeserving. And now that we have received that compassion, the question is, 
do we continue to extend it to others? Almost um, a year and a half ago, my wife and I were vacationing <coughs> in Barcelona. On the last day, we were just getting bored, so we thought of, you know what, let's just go out and bless the city, let's just go out and do a prayer walk. So we went out, we started walking and praying, and walking and praying, and then we started observing people. So we were walking, praying, and observing people. Then we were just walking and observing people, praying went out. And then after observing a little closer and a little closer, a judgmental comment came out from us for one of the people we observed. And then came another comment, and then came another comment. While we were waiting at the signal for it to turn green, the Holy Spirit gripped my heart and said, I have called you to love them, not judge them. It's easy to judge, isn't it? Oh, look at them, how they are. How about we begin with doing what Jesus did, show them some love and compassion first. It's easy to love the lovable, our friends. How about we love those who we find difficulty in dealing with? It's easy to point a finger at someone who's already being accused, like this woman in the story. How about we show the hardest grace of God to them? Friends, in our Im imperfections, both as the accusers and the accused, we all stand in the need of God's scandalous grace we don't deserve. A grace that stirs our heart to love the lost. And that brings me to the second layer of the story, the hypocrisy of the accusers and the boundless love of Christ. Verse 6 says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law were trying to trap Jesus into saying something so that they could use it against him. But Jesus stoops down and starts writing something on the ground. You know what I love about Jesus? Apart from his response in the story, his reactions. He's the most unpredictable and interesting person I've ever come across. In the midst of hypocritic accusations, he stoops down to care for the woman. The stooping down shows humility coming down to the level of those who are lost and rejected, just like this woman here. He doesn't react. He doesn't immediately burst out. He doesn't get angry with the woman or with the people who brought her. He paused and stooped down. It is a low posture identifying with the humiliation of the woman. We can already see in this moment God's grace flowing through Jesus here. John Stott once said, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Jesus cared and stooped and rescued us, and we ought to do the same. He came down to the level of the woman to ease the embarrassment. He knew this is not how it was supposed to be done. As I imagined Jesus sitting on the ground, I could hear the accusations, the loud accusations. Can you hear them? Imagine these people surrounding the woman, just waiting for Jesus to say something so that they could get him and the woman. It was the perfect trap. Hey teacher, what will it be, this or that? That we see Jesus standing up and coming to the level to respond to the accusers. While Jesus didn't respond to the woman, he did address her by sitting down. And now he comes to the level of the accusers to speak to them. He says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. And there must have been pin, 
drop silence. I can almost hear the Netflix background go like, <laughs> Here Jesus exposes a common sin, the desire to punish others while ignoring our own sin. In the previous chapter, Jesus tells the teachers of the religious law to look beneath the surface to judge correctly. He tells them, Moses has given you the law, but you do not follow it. Instead, you try to kill me. These people were used to looking at others' flaws instead of seeing their own sin. Do you see the hypocrisy of the accusers here? They were not there for justice. They were there to judge the woman and trap Jesus. Do we see such hypocrisy around us or sometimes, unfortunately, within us? If we do, friends, remember what Jesus said. We need to get rid of the log in our own eye before trying to remove the speck from our friend's eye. Um, this week I was talking to Sean Lenton <coughs> and I was telling him where I'm currently working, I'll be leaving my company soon. Um, everything was supposed to be done yesterday. There are a few teams at, at my, in my company that prefer doing things last minute and they stress you and everyone around you. So one of the head of departments came to me the other day and he said, you know what, you have been declining our request, he was right. You have been not delivering well, he was partially right. You have not been well in terms of catering to our request, he was probably fully right. And he's like, I'm not happy with you, he should know about it. And he goes like, I'm going to take this to the management and I was like, best of luck, I'm leaving. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I still need my end of year dues, or my end of service dues. But when he said that to me, I said, sir, will you please explain to me how and why? And he goes like, Noel, I have just explained this to you. Do not make me repeat myself. And I was like, no, no, sir, please explain me. Why are you not happy? And how do we always get late? And he goes like, this project was supposed to be done yesterday. It's still not completed. And then I asked him, I said, so when did your team send this request to our team? And he goes like, a day before. And I was like, sir, help us help you here. We've observed that your team sends us things last minute and then either we can't manage expectations or we have to decline. So can your team plan and send us things a little ahead of time? Now they have a process to send us things well briefed to us and hopefully we'll manage expectations. We're not perfect, but they need to get rid of the log in their own eye before trying to remove the speck in ours. <laughs> and as much as I wanted to react in my flesh, I knew it wouldn't be worth it. James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. In this story, where the woman was caught in the act of adultery, Jesus was quick to listen. He gave his attention to the matter. He was slow to speak. He stooped down. He did not get angry at all. His response produced a righteousness God desired. Can you see the abounding love of Christ here? A scandalous love that we don't deserve, that this woman didn't deserve. Friends, the scandalous love of God challenges us to examine our own hearts, stoop and extend grace to those who have fallen just as we received it once. The love of Christ that redeems people and sends them on a journey of transformation. 
And that brings me to the third layer of the story, the condemnation of man and the redemption in Jesus. After Jesus responded to them, he stooped down and continued writing. Verse 9 says that after they heard this, after they heard Jesus' response, they slipped away one by one, beginning from the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. They were convicted by what Jesus said because he spoke the truth. Later in this chapter, you will see Jesus saying this to the Jews who believed in him. He says to them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, if we abide in Christ, we abide in his word and his word is true and it will set us free, the truth. Not the truth the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law brought forward, but the truth that Jesus spoke, the full truth. Not the truth that we bring from our vantage point to benefit us or our agenda, the full truth. The half-truth that we speak is lies, is false, and it causes division. The half-truth that the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought forward brought condemnation. But the full truth that Jesus spoke brought restoration. Can you see how that full truth cut through the lies and deception of the enemy in the story here? Oh, funny story about speaking the half-truth. My wife and I try and eat as healthily as possible, which means we have allocated the weekends to eat two carb meals. We don't eat carbohydrates during the week. And I'm not sure if it's God's loving kindness, grace and mercy over my life, but whenever my wife eats an additional carb meal during the week, God reveals it to me. <laughs> Trust me, he does, through some means. And recently, he did that again. Now, not that my wife needs my permission to eat anything, it's just to keep each other accountable. So recently he revealed it to me in his kindness and his grace and mercy towards me. So I asked my wife, I said, did you eat carbs yesterday? She goes like, yes. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, I'm telling you now. <laughs> Later she acknowledged that she should have told me earlier. But you see in the story that when Jesus spoke the full truth, it came like a double-edged sword exposing the innermost thoughts and desires of the accusers. And they slipped away one by one. And then Jesus stands up and asks a woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she goes like, no. And Jesus goes like, neither do I go sin no more. With all the accusers gone and just the crowd left, there was no one left to condemn the woman. And Jesus did not condemn her. He was the only one who could because he was without sin, yet he chose not to. He chose to cover her and clothe her in his grace. He knew that the woman had sinned because he told her to stop sinning. This woman, guilty of sin, now knew the goodness of having no condemnation. In this moment when she heard, go sin no more, she went from being condemned to being redeemed and now on a journey to being transformed with the call of go sin no more. In a sense, Jesus modeled Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation in Christ. Jesus rescued her from darkness and brought her to light. He rescued us. He stooped down for us. When the devil, the enemy, the accuser, was throwing all sorts of accusations at us. He came down for us to give his life for us. 
when the high priest tore his garments, when the guards mocked him. It was this prince of this world at work and an active participation of our rebellion, yet he chose to stoop down. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God so that he could take us from condemnation to redemption. Friends, if you're here today and if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I feel this is the moment for you to accept him, invite his scandalous grace over your life, which is more than enough for all of us, and give your life to him. If that's you, come and speak to me, Dylan, or one of the prayer ministry team members, or anyone after the service. We'd love to lead you to Christ. Remember, the call to go and sin no more echoes throughout all the ages. The scandalous grace of God offers us freedom from the accusations and sins and invites us to receive the gift of redemption. Before we conclude, I'd like to put across a question to you. And this question is not for you to answer, but to simply process it as we go in a time of worship now between you and God, honestly. You don't have to give anyone an explanation. Just process it honestly between you and God. In this story, which side do you see yourself on? Do you see yourself on the side of the accusers or the accused? Whichever side that may be, don't let the enemy chain you in the web of sin and accusations. Reach out for God's scandalous grace that redeems and restores. Like I said in the beginning, grace is not sin endorsed but sin pardoned as we come to faith and forgiveness in Christ. Reach out for God's grace through Christ. Friends, as we worship now and you process this question honestly between you and God, remember this. Whether we find ourselves on the side of casting stones or hearing the call to sin no more. Jesus' scandalous grace is available to us to go from condemnation to redemption.